Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? We'll talk about passion, Dave. You almost made me spit out my water. Darren, I know we've done this before. We're not going to talk about my personal life and, and my passions like that. That's just not going to happen. What do our, our listeners aren't voyeuristic and they don't care? Well, it would be not very entertaining or enjoyable. So why don't we speak about passion that people have for their work and their lives? Oh, sorry. I, I misunderstood. My bad. What's the reason you want to talk about passion today? Well, I think a lot of people have been asked the question, especially what's going on in our world right now. What is it that drives you? What are you passionate about? Because once people find something they're passionate about, that'll not only change the way that they engage in work, but also in all areas of their lives as well. So if we're working in something we're passionate about, mm -hmm. we find some reason to, um, to get up in the morning, then we're more effective at it. Is that the bottom line? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Does it make us, does our being passionate about something make other people more receptive to being persuaded to our perspective? Absolutely. And it allows people to share what they're passionate about as well. Because one thing we talked about in a previous podcast, if you want to be valuable, be vulnerable. And this allows that to potentially take place. Yeah, it has an absolute ring of truth. I think it was um, Dale Carnegie who said, the little known secret to sales is passion. Hmm. And uh, certainly I know in my sales career, and I, you and I talked about this earlier um, offline, how many times have you heard, a, heard somebody say, I can't sell what I don't believe in. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes people perceive that to be bad, that you should be able to sell anything. It's my product. Sell it. And on the other hand, I would want someone that's working for me to be passionate about selling my services. Well, certainly from a leadership perspective, if I'm looking to create high performance, self-directed teams, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I want to make sure is that everybody involved in that project on that team is absolutely passionate about what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, it's hard to get people engaged. Absolutely. And how do you go about doing that, Dave? Wow. What a, what a great question. Um, we only have 30 minutes, so I'll, I'll, I'll try and... Because it, it, there's there's a lot to it. In fact, it's one of the first things we tackle in my um, command college is, you know, hmm. what are you passionate about? And 
that's the first piece is we need to understand what we're personally passionate about. What is it about the project or if we're leading a company, our, our services, what is it we we're doing that, um, and why understanding the why and how that affects other people. So when I'm hiring somebody, if I've identified why I'm passionate about it, like my particular passion, I want to replace Thank God it's Friday with thank God it's Monday. Mm-hmm. How 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 sucky is life when you and I've done it where you dread going to work on Monday morning and you're ecstatic about the weekend because you're not at that four letter word. Mm-hmm. So I am absolutely passionate about that because it enriches everybody's lives. But if I don't know that, then how do I hire people who are going to share that passion? So that's step one, mm-hmm. know what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Know why you get up in the morning. That's right. That's right. And, and back at you, though, from a sales perspective, how does that um, manifest there? I was working with the semiconductor company, and they're probably, I don't know, $6 billion. And one of the things we talked about was, what is your compelling why? I'm like, my compelling why is to make money. Okay, that's important. And is there anything else? Like, that's pretty much it. And I said, well, what do your semiconductors do? And they're like, they're put in our clients' products. I said, okay, what are some of those products? Oh, come to think of it, we make roads safer. We make lives easier. We make education available to everyone. We devise systems and processes so everyone can advance in any phase of their lives. And they said, wow, that's a really good compelling why of why we do what we do. But if they don't think about it, they go, you know, it's a rote thing. I go, I make calls, I have meetings, I get get a sale, I go home, I do this. And then I'm passionate at home with my family, with my kids, with my loved ones, with my community. But what if? They were able to figure out their passionate work. And when they figure out they save lives, their semiconductor devices are in medical devices, which save lives. That's a totally different conversation, Dave. And you could see the light bulb go off once we had that dialogue. And you know what's interesting about that story? And this is true sales leadership. It doesn't really matter. Their initial act, uh, reaction was, we're passionate about making money. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that was not what they were passionate about. Right. Because they got lit up, lit up when you revealed to them or helped them re- uncover for themselves is probably, I'm guessing, more what that process looked like. Yes. What they could truly achieve. You know, they say you know, money should never be the purpose. Because let's right. be candid. If, if our purpose is money then there's nothing we're not going to do. Well, nothing we're not going to do. So there's anything, we're, we're going to do whatever it takes. Yes. Right? Double negatives are, neg- are never good. Um, we're going to do whatever it takes to achieve money. And there's easier ways to make money than whatever it is we're, you're doing out there unless you're a drug dealer. Right. right? Now, the risk-reward on the whole drug dealing thing is commensurately high, right? right. Risk no pun high. intended. And no pun intended. Right. It's yet yeah, no, not not at all. And in fact, I thank you for pointing out the unintended fun. 
now I feel like a dope. Um, oh. <laughs> feel like I've been drugged into this. So we'll continue. Let's just cut it off right here, right now. Right. This is going to sound like one of my uh, dinner conversations growing up where we would have these pun fests for like 10 minutes. Yes, I'm clean. And my brother and I still engage in this to this day. Um, so good, good times had by all. But point being is money is really not your purpose. And even if you think it's your purpose, think about what you want to do with that money. And that will lead you down that path to find what your true purpose is. Right. Money, I believe, is a gauge of how successful you are at achieving your purpose. Um, but if it's your sole purpose, it's going to be fleeting. It's going to go away. It's not sustainable. That's right. Which then brings us to the real question. And you did this uh, a minute ago with your, your, your client. How do people find their passion? And let me confess. Mm hmm. I'll be 60 in June. Mm -hmm. It's probably only been five years, six years since I've realized I had a passion. So for those of our listeners out there going, oh, God, here's that passion talk again. I hear other people talk about it. And, and you know, I'm just going through the motions. And this is the inside voice. Mm -hmm. I doubt anybody's going to say that out loud. But I will tell you right now that. That's my conversation 10 years ago. Right. How do you help somebody find their passion? Well, let me ask you a question. How did you find yours and what is it? My passion is helping other people enjoy what they do, mm -hmm. uh, enjoy their work, making sure they are getting the most fulfillment out of their lives. Mm -hmm. But frankly, it came upon me by accident. Um, it it found me. Mm -hmm. um, I probably was in a place, well, not probably, I was looking for it mm -hmm. at that point in my life. I was, let's see, uh, I can tell you exactly when it happened. It was Father's Day 2014. Mm -hmm. And I've shared this story before. Right? So Father's Day 2014, I would have been um, 40 Three? Yeah, I guess so. 43 years old. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 53 years old. That's better. Math is one of the first skills that go as you get older, folks. Um, but I was 53 years old. And as I, I've said before in this podcast and previous episodes, I, I got an email or a text rather from uh, one of my former uh, colleagues, guy I worked with who I had helped um be successful in, in, in his chosen career. Um, and he simply said, happy father's day. And when I, when I replied to his text day, thanks, but you know, I don't have kids. And he, his response to that was, yeah, but you've been like a father for me. And I mm -hmm. realized with that, how I had touched his life. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the holes in my life up until this point, had been the fact that not having children, I didn't have a legacy. And I don't mean like, you know, monuments to myself, but I think children are the greatest legacy we could leave if we leave really good citizens, well-grounded individuals who contribute to society as our children. We know the next generation is going to be in good hands. And, and I didn't have that. And my ego, as it is, 
leads me to believe into this day that had I had children, they'd have done that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized with this text that, yeah, I didn't need to have biological children to have had that same impact. And so now, now that's what I'm looking to do is to multiply. It's like dope back to that you know, drug comment, right? That's mm-hmm. that feeling. I want it again and again and again. Yep. Absolutely. That's a great story. That's it. The true ones always are. Um, and I can't tell this story without getting teared up. Um, mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's amazing. And I think in that story is, right, so yes, how I found it. Um, one, I was looking. Mm-hmm. Two, I was open for it. Mm-hmm. Three, and I think this, I had this conversation with uh, my unofficial goddaughter. So my closest friend, he didn't make me her godfather, but I, that guy's not, not in her life, and I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and she graduated from uh, uh, SDSU a few years back, and she doesn't, even to this day, still isn't real clear on what she wants to do with herself. She's doing things and she's being productive, but it's, and it's like, you got to think outside yourself. Think that the passion has to be about other people. And right. I think that's so important. Yeah, I agree. So for me, as you like to joke, the reason why our podcast is disarming persuasion, because I was blessed to be born with my left hand missing below the elbow. And when I was seven, I used to counsel Vietnam soldiers that were coming back from the war, missing a limb. And yes, I was the first exposure to American life when I was seven. I think they did it because I'll call it systematic desensitization. They can't really scream at a seven-year-old kid that's wearing a hook, you know? Wow. I mean, but I'm just sitting there thinking, what are you doing to that seven-year-old? Right. Oh, I had a unique upbringing. I would sit in an amphitheater with about 100 doctors several times a year, and they would poke and prod and ask questions. And that's where I developed my my speaking skills at a very early age. And I used to wear a hook. And I remember the funniest story ever. I stopped wearing a hook because I started playing sports and working out. And my hook, it was hard to fit on my arm. And my parents made me wear it. So I used to bury it in the woods on the way to school. And the reason why I used to bear it in the woods in sixth grade, we had mandatory square dancing and I was dosy doing with my partner and I hit her with my hook and I thought this is not a great way to meet women. So that's when I started burying my hook in the woods. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, you, you, you could have gotten women hooked on you left and right. Very true. Left and well, left, definitely left. Yes. Good point. Good point. But however, you probably had a positive role model growing up. Mine was Captain Hook. So, you know, it's detrimental to your ability to function as a young kid when Disney is God. So, so were you afraid of crocodiles and clocks? Um, I could never keep time. That's for damn sure. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that pain back up. So maybe I'll go back to what we talked about earlier, the drug challenge. So anyway, back to my story very quickly is I've always gravitated towards assisting other people because I feel like I was given so many opportunities and I was poster child for Easter Seals. So I did a lot of talks and spoke to a lot of people and engaged a lot of folks. And here's just a very quick, cool story. Someone put on Facebook one day a picture of a park that I used to play at the first nine years of my life. And I wrote, I remember this park. I broke my nose playing baseball at this park. And this kid, we'll call him a kid. He's in his 50s now. But the last time I saw him, I was nine. And he wrote, I remember when you broke your nose. I played against your team that day. And I was scared to play. And then the next week, a kid on our team broke his nose. 
And I'm like, I'm done playing. And he said, a couple of weeks later, I was thinking about quitting and we played your team again. And you were out there playing first base with a plate on your nose. And I thought to myself, this kid's got one arm. He's got a plate in his nose and he's playing baseball. And who the heck am I to say I can't play? He said, I want to thank you for that because I got a college scholarship in baseball because I continued to play. That excites me. That drives me. Wow. What an amazing story. You know, and that goes to interesting here. Um, implicit in mine and almost stated in your story, right, is what I call the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And that's our ability to touch people without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. I, I know in, in mine, and I, and I typically, when I tell the story, and I told an abbreviated version of it, obviously, the real impactful thing was the realization that it wasn't just this gentleman's life I affected, but his son who was in private school, yep. his wife who, you know, because... He was happier and making more money. His home life is better. And, and I'm not going to reveal confidential conversations, but I know when I first met him what things look like. And I know because we're in touch today, that life is incalculably better for him and for those he touches. That's right. So when we're passionate about something that's outward focused, we have this impact that is disproportionate in a positive way, uh, stronger, that has this huge ripple effect. So just a a couple of thoughts. I I really like, I so appreciate that story you shared. And there's so much learning in all of that, right? And what I'm doing today is, you know, you've been through my sales training program years ago. My clients say it's a life-changing program that increases sales. It's really not about sales. It's about the life skills and people tell me their lives are different, save marriages, did this, did that. It's, it's fantastic. People pay for their own siblings to go through my training, which that's what really gets me motivated. A couple of things I was thinking, I was doing this with my clients one day. We we're talking about passion. And what if you ask yourself a couple of questions? When you're alone, what do you think about? Right. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And that might start to give some clues to people in their passion. Now, my youngest son is 18. And when he was eight, he closed a $40,000 deal for me. So he's got some pretty good game, demonstrating techniques in front of two business owners that I had taught him. But he came to me the other day. He goes, Dad, I just don't know what I want to do in my life. And it's really bothering me. He's 18, Dave. How many of our listeners are sitting there going, I don't really know what I want to do in my life. And my hunch is they might be older, over 18. You know, it's funny. I, I remember at that age, the same conversation, uh, internal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, my degree is mechanical engineering, not because I was passionate about engineering. I was very strong at math. Then engineers are good at math. Then I had no idea what an engineer did. So I went to college for engineering. Right. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, 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 if you're listening and you're, and this is really true of any age, but but certainly if you're at that age, take take that pressure off you. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I went to a um, business meeting many many years ago. Uh, the uh, founder of the Carl Strauss Brewery, I, Jeff, I think is his first name. I can't think of his last name. Uh, was speaking. It was at his. It was, it was at one of his restaurants. 
and he was telling his story. And uh, so Carl Strauss, the, the name is his uncle, is a beer meister uh, out of out of Germany. And he, he was, the, I think, the head um, beer meister at Anheuser-Busch, if memory serves me. But anyway, this gentleman had and his business partner had just graduated from college with their MBA. And they decided to take a world tour just to see what's out there. And it was in Australia where he came across microbreweries and thought, this, this, is, this is something I could get behind. Now, we don't all have the means to do a world tour. I, I certainly didn't growing up. But in this day and age, you don't need to travel to learn. Mm-hmm. We have the Internet. I, I, the question: What is it you would? What is it that would get you up in the morning excited every day? Now I'm reminded of the story of Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Tony. Tony was passionate about skateboarding. There is no professional skateboarding. Now look at him. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what I when I taught at the University of San Diego because I needed babysitters, right? And USD students could make really good babysitters. I could screen up potential people. Hey, would you like to watch my kids? Hey, stay away from my family. You know, it worked out really well. In the leadership course I taught, I used to have people do a report on someone, and this one woman did Oprah, and I said, "Why Oprah?" She's like, "Oh, I just really like what she stands for." I said, "Why don't you call her up?" She's like, "I can't call Oprah." I said, "Why not? Pick up the phone. You got a phone number?" call her. And I happen to know someone that worked in with Oprah. So I was able to maneuver a phone call, but she was able to speak with Oprah and got a job working with Oprah. Wow. And so I tell people, if you like something or someone, at least do an informational interview, have conversations. What is it about you like about your job? What is it are challenges? And see if that's something you can get behind, especially if you're younger, or even if not. I mean, people, let's face it. We do a podcast. What do we like to do? Talk about ourselves and hopefully we spread some some wisdom so people may benefit from our mistakes, right? Isn't that pretty much what we do? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of nailed it on the head. It's the greatest job in the world, right? Absolutely. So if people love to talk about themselves, why not give them the opportunity to talk about themselves? Let them share their passion. It's funny. I knew both those stories that you talked about as far as with uh, with Carl Strauss and also with Tony Hawk. And I, and I had the privilege of of meeting both of them and their stories are, are are brilliant, right? And sometimes it just stumbles upon us. The same thing happened with Ugg Boots. So Ugg Boots, the gentleman who created Ugg Boots came to the United States to find the great big next thing because we in Australia, he thought, we're not that sophisticated. I'm going to come to the United States. And he started to go surfing. And he saw a bunch of surfers when they came out of the water, they weren't wearing these 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 sheepskin boots. And he's like, what do you mean? Everybody has them in Australia. And so we got a couple of surfers, gave them the boots. Then people started wearing them. And that's how Ugg boots started, right? So he was passionate about boots. So I want to switch, not switch gears, because I still want to talk about passion. But, you know, that's one type of passion. You're passionate about a product. Absolutely. Or, you know, in my case, in your case, both we're passionate about a result, but it's kind of a direct result from what we do. Right. We went through this same exercise um, at Priority Moving, a moving company I ran. And mm-hmm. and um, the result was actually really surprising. So, you know, we asked ourselves, 
what is our purpose? We didn't ask what are we passionate about, but what sure. is our purpose as a company? And that really is the same thing because your purpose should be your passion. Right. Uh, there are people out there who say get rid of the word should, but too bad. Um, <laughs> the purpose we came up with was surprising because we're mm. a moving company. Right. And our purpose was to reduce stress. Mm-hmm. Totally different. It's totally different. Yeah. You would think our purpose would be to move people without breaking anything or to set up a new home in a new location or right something along those. Our purpose was to reduce stress. Mm-hmm. And the litmus test, and the reason we knew we nailed it is we then started looking at everything that we had already set up and asked ourselves, why? So all of our policies and procedures that were in place at that point were designed around reducing stress. We called people a day ahead of time, confirmed that we were going to be there. We had policies to make sure our crew showed up on time or called. And if they didn't, I mean, our crews knew they did because Mm -hmm. they wanted to stay employed there. But the real test then came down to the owner because the owner, whose name is Brian, great guy. And I remember when I first started working there, I would get frustrated because we'd be in the middle of a meeting and his kids would call who were in (laughs) high school or junior high school, depending on which one it was. uh, Mm -hmm. And he would drop whatever he did because he was going to deal with that problem. If one of us, before I got there, and even shortly after I started until he saw that I could handle it, had a problem, he stopped what he was doing to deal with that problem because he didn't want his people stressed. It stressed him for them to be stressed. Yep. And so it rang true. And so that, I think, is step two, right? Your purpose isn't necessarily to provide a product or service or even what that product and service does, but how you provide that product or service That's can right. also be your purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in my world, I think I specialize in what I would call entertainment. It's entertaining training. And I like to make the learning fun because if not, it's just learning. And I never, when I taught at USD and other schools, I never wanted to just have people memorize things to regurgitate facts on an exam. I just thought that was a waste of time. So one thing I did to drive home the, the concept of leadership was several of my classes played Survivor. So every week they had the chance to vote on out of the chance to get an automatic A. And every week there was a voting process. Someone had to get voted out. And there was immunity challenge called a quiz. Every week during the quiz, whoever got scored highest couldn't be voted out. And it was like the TV show. They formed alliances. They lied about it. It was amazing learning for people to engage in. And I think I still have people from 10, 12, 14 years, no, more than that, a lot longer than that, reaching out to me going, hey, as a result of playing Survivor, I learned so much about how to persuade people in an ethical and an honest way. And to me, that's very exciting. I like to make learning fun. Entertainment is what I like to say. Well, that's, that's brilliant. And of course, I know you. I've known you now as, as our listeners who've been with us for for a while, also know for 12, 13 years. So over a decade, which is not a small amount of time. No. And and you certainly love to 
you love to entertain. You love people to laugh. You love people, you know, uh, you're incredibly self-deprecating, right? which is the beautiful thing, right? Because you make yourself the butt of your joke so nobody else feels bad. Right. And, you know, that all goes to the okay, not okay, which we talked about mm -hmm. uh, several episodes ago. Right? You embody the things you talk about. And your passion comes through. And I think it's one of the reasons we, we became friends so long ago. I, and again, I've shared this before. I heard your, I remember hearing your ads thinking, uh, on, on a radio station, uh, the sales manager minute and going, man, this guy's got it. I want to meet this guy. And then when the chamber salesperson who, you know, a friend of mine at the time, you, you know who she is, mm -hmm. uh, sat me down to join the chamber and, um, and the hook was, I got a free, I got, I got included a class with you and fun. <laughs> That's great. It's certainly a, it's certainly a great example of be careful what you wish for. Fair, fair. So, yeah. So yeah, passion's important. Um, do you have any other tips for people to help them find their passion? Well, what you talked about was you were searching for it and you were open to it. So I think the first thing is spend some time with yourself and talk about what is it that gets you excited. I mean, you and I are both passionate about sports. We make fun of each other about our chosen sports teams, but it's not something that is driving us to, well, maybe for you, to certain behaviors, right? But it's something we enjoy Sports is something we enjoy. I wouldn't say it's a passion of mine. Years ago, it very well could have been. Not anymore, right? So I think for people to sit, have a conversation, make a list, maybe make a list of top 10 things that they like to do that they feel like is important to them besides a paycheck. Because the paycheck is, like you said earlier, is not going to drive that. It's not going to have long sustaining. Now, with Brian, your example, as far as his family, Obviously, you know, my children, I'm very passionate about and I try not to talk about them a lot on this podcast because I could probably bore most people just talking about the love I have for my children and the stories that I've had with my children. As a result of how passionate I am for my children, I end up doing things that I would never do. Audition for Survivor, enter the Sexiest Legs competition on a cruise ship. Those are things that I've done because my children ask me to do them. And the next thing I have to do is I'm saying it now, I'm going to audition for America's Got Talent because my youngest son asked me to do it. And what are you going to do on America's Got Talent or do we need to tune in to find out? Thank you for not saying juggling. I thought that was just, you know, a fastball down the middle of the plate. You know, it was a curving, it was a hanging curveball, And <laughs> I'm just like, I can't do that to you. Right. Um, it's going to be stand-up. In another podcast, I'll share, I made $1,000 one night doing stand-up as a bet at a, uh, in Dallas. I thought I knew all your stories. Obviously, you have a few you were holding back, so I <laughs> can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> so in conclusion, I think the best thing for people to do is to say, hey, it's okay if you don't have a passion right now. It's okay. You said 10, you know, 2014, 2015 is when you discovered yours. It's going to hit people at different times. It's being open to experiences. It's actually, a lot of times we think we're being selfish when we think about ourselves. And if we don't think about ourselves, we're actually being selfish because we can't serve others. So spend some time thinking about yourself, 
What do you like to do? How do you share your time? How do you spend your money? And then maybe something, if you could do something, anything in the world, if money didn't matter, what would you be doing and why? And that might be a decent clue to some things that people are passionate about. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. And don't be afraid to to actually um, write down what you are dispassionate about. Oh, absolutely. You need to know what what will dampen that flame just as much as you need to know what's going to increase it. And I'll just give you one example, and then I think we could leave on, on this. I know from personally that just doing good work without seeing the results doesn't do anything for me. Right. In, in, in uh, um, assessments that I do, one of the assessments is what we call driving forces. And one of those is you know, how we deal with other people. And I am very intentional, meaning if you come to me for help and I eye to eye, I can see you. I, I, I love helping people when I see the results. And yes, that's ego because I get to help. I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that because it's a two-way streak. You're getting something out of it. But I'm not the person that's going to sit there at the soup kitchen ladling out food for people. It's helpful. This is not a knock against people who can do that. It just doesn't excite me right? because I don't see any direct positive results from those efforts. Right. And and so that's just how I'm bent. It's not an assessment of that. It's just a fact understand that about you, what doesn't excite you as well, and it'll help narrow the field. And then, like you said, be open to it because, uh, you know, it, it. when you are thinking about it and you're open to it, you will see it. Um, our brains are just wired that way. That's right. So, folks, I guess our, our call to action, if you are passionate about something, acknowledge it and then let that be your guide because mm-hmm. it makes you genuine and and being you nobody else can do it and people will like you when you're genuine absolutely and be closed uh, and know what you're close to and, and, and don't force it it's great insights Dave appreciate it uh, likewise Darren it's always fun I think that's a wrap for today if you enjoyed this folks please please subscribe to our podcast and uh Share this with others. Anything, any last minute words, uh, Darren? No, I, I think we hit it. Just um, find your passion. And you can also talk to other people about, hey, I want to talk about passion. Can we have a conversation? And be open and vulnerable with those people that you care most about. You might learn a lot about yourself you never even realized. Yeah. Ask them, what is it you see that gets me excited? That's right. Because we don't. We, sometimes we don't notice it in ourselves. That's right. All right. Until next time. Thanks, folks. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.